Our text for the preaching of God's Word this morning will be 1 Samuel chapter 11. So we'll turn there together and read that entire chapter. First Samuel chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh-Gilead. And all the, men of Na- all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us, and we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, On this condition I will make a treaty with you, that I gouge out all your right eyes, and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days' respite, that we may send messengers through all the territory of Israel. Then, if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter in the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. Now behold, Saul was coming, in, was coming from the field behind the oxen. And Saul said, What is wrong with the people that they are weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen, cut them in pieces, and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of messengers, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. When he mustered them at Bezek, the men of the people of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who had come, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. And when the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. And the next day Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men, that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So far, the reading of God's Word. Brothers and sisters of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, have you ever been to an event where there was meant to be much joy, but for whatever reason, it turned out there was not? Maybe you got together with a group of friends or perhaps some extended family, 
You're going to have a great time, but then all of a sudden there's that old argument popping up once again. Or maybe you're at this reunion and someone walks into the room who you really were hoping not to see. Someone who's hurt you in the past, someone who you perhaps have trouble forgiving. Or perhaps you're involved in a relationship where there should be much joy, but there simply isn't. There's unresolved tension between you and your spouse, or perhaps your children, they don't look up to you and respect you and seek out your advice the way that they used to. All of us, we we yearn to have joy in our lives, in our relationships with one another, but sometimes this joy can be taken away from us. And as we turn to our text this morning in 1 Samuel 11, we also see that the men of Jabesh, Gilead, they are lacking in joy. What they need is a savior, someone who can come to them, who can restore that joy to them. And as we'll see in our text this morning, God brings back that joy to the men of Jabesh, but also to the whole community of Israel. And he also continues to bring that joy to his church today as well, through his anointed. And so we'll hear the gospel of, the, of our Lord proclaimed this morning under the following theme, Jesus came to renew the joy of the kingdom. We'll see three points, disgrace and discord in the kingdom, deliverance and healing for the kingdom, and finally devotion to the Lord of the kingdom. So first, disgrace and discord in the kingdom. Our text opens with a bit of a bargain of sorts. Nahash is besieging Jabesh-Gilead, and the men of Jabesh, they offer terms of surrender. Make a treaty with us, they say, and then we'll be your servants. But as we read, this is not good enough for Nahash. Nahash says, yeah, I'll make a treaty with you, but on this condition that I gouge out all of your right eyes. Now, that's obviously not a fair treaty. That's a, a cruel punishment. It's a punishment by Nahash, which was meant to bring disgrace on the people of Israel. Disgrace, just like Nahash himself says in verse 2 of our text. It would bring disgrace on them, not simply because of their deformed face, but also because they would never be able to again rebel against this cruel overlord. Now maybe you've been challenged in the past to hold out a pencil or something small and close one eye and then just try to put your finger on the very top of that pencil. And many of us know that nine times out of ten, you're going to miss the top of that thing completely. And now just picture yourself on the battlefield against Nahash the Ammonite, trying to strike him on the head with only one eye. Of course, you're going to miss. You'll never land that decisive blow. And so Nahash, he didn't simply want the surrender of God's people. He wanted disgrace. He wanted them to be an object of scorn to the nations around them, never able to get themselves out of that terrible situation. And I also think unsurprisingly that this Nahash mindset is something which continues in the world today. Perhaps you've seen or heard of how our persecuted brothers and sisters in other parts of the world are disgraced by the enemies that they face. Oftentimes the men will be executed for the world to see, Women will be ravaged. Children will be killed. 
The enemies of the church can be so cruel in their attempts to bring disgrace upon us. And it's true of ourselves here closer to home as well. We experience this pressure of our enemies on a different level, but it's there nonetheless. We can think about our beliefs in the Bible, beliefs such as how creation came about or beliefs on how our marriages should be, who should be able to marry who. These sorts of things, the culture around us, they ridicule. They pressure us to forget about these marriages between one man and one woman. They pressure us to allow women into positions of leadership which we've reserved for the men which God himself has reserved. To think otherwise, it's really considered a disgraceful thing in the 21st century. The world asks, you know, how can you be joyful when you live your life in this way, when you believe these sorts of things? But as we see in our text this morning, the men of Jabesh-Gilead, they're not quite so ready to give in to the threats of Nahash. They ask for a few days' respite, and Nahash indeed grants them what they ask. Now, it's not entirely clear why Nahash decided to give them these days of respite. Perhaps he was so confident in his defeat of Jabesh-Gilead that he just prolonged their suffering under his hand. And in some respects, the confidence of Nahash, it was not misplaced. When we read into verses 3 and 4, we can see the real sorry state that Jabesh-Gilead was in. We see in verse 3 that the elders and messengers, they had sent out through all of Israel looking for a savior, having their fingers crossed, hoping to just find someone who would come to them and deliver them from Nahash. They were looking for a savior, brothers and sisters. And who should they have turned to as their savior but the Lord God himself? When we look at verse 3, this word save, which is used here, it's the very same word which God himself had used in chapter 10, verse 19, to describe himself. He was the God who has saved his people from all their distresses and from all their calamities. And as we've seen in the chapters previous to our text, the Israelites, they had rejected the Lord as their Savior. But even so, God had raised up Saul also for this purpose. In chapter 9, verse 16, the same word save, it's again used to describe the calling which God had given to Saul. And yet here in our text, the men of Jabesh, they, they simply go out throughout the tribes of Israel looking for a Savior. They don't know who their Savior is. And when these messengers come to Gibeah of Saul, we read in our text that all the people of Gibeah do is weep. They weep as if the fate of Jabesh is sealed. They weep as if they too know that no Savior will arise for them from Israel. After all, the people of Gibeah, they remember their history. They remember their history also of Jabesh-Gilead. And we read a little bit about this in Judges 19 and Judges 21. We read there that the men of Gibeah, they had committed these terrible sins against the Levites' concubine. And when the people of Israel joined together to bring justice against the people, well, who is missing from this group 
other than the men of Jabesh-Gilead. After the civil war, the men of Israel, they do feel some remorse over what they've done to the tribe of Benjamin. But you can be certain that both the cities of Gibeah and the men of Jabesh-Gilead, they retained this bad reputation, this sin-stained reputation. And now when we come to our text this morning, who's in need of deliverance but the men of Jabesh-Gilead? And who do they end up going to but the city and the men of Gibeah? And when we remember the histories of these two cities, we can ask ourselves, is Israel really going to unite behind these people? Will they come to their aid? Will they give the deliverance which they are so desperately in need of? Or will the sins, this discord which was sown back in the book of Judges run a bit too deep? It's so easy, brothers and sisters, to hold past sins against one another. And it's so easy to prolong someone's bad reputation. Boys and girls, maybe you experience this too. Isn't it easy to tease a sibling for something which happened a long time ago? And do we as church community promote our neighbor's good wherever we can, wherever we may? Or do we perpetuate these bad reputations? Do we hold on to sins which have been committed in the past, which have been dealt with? And of course, as sinful human beings, we know that we lean towards the latter. In our pride, we desire to elevate ourselves at the expense of others. We look at our own sins, we compare it, and we say, oh, we're not really as bad as that person over there, or we don't really have the messy past which she has. But what does such an attitude do, brothers and sisters, other than rob us of the joy of fellowship which we have with one another. Jesus Christ did not come into this world to inflate our own egos. He came to renew the joy of the kingdom, to renew this joy that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so like the men of Jabesh Gilead in our text this morning, our joy can also be threatened. It can be threatened from external pressures which we experience from the culture, the people all around us, and it can also be threatened from internal discord amongst the members of the church itself. And so like Jabesh, we also need a Savior to come and deliver us from this disgrace, deliver us from the discord in the kingdom of God. And that now takes us to our second point, deliverance and healing for the kingdom. So even though, as we've seen in our text, that the men of Jabesh-Gilead, they're really looking for a savior in all the wrong places, even though they've rejected the Lord, rejected his anointed, the Lord, he shows his faithfulness to them once again, and he gives them the savior that they're looking for. And as we come to verse 5, we see that ultimately this Savior is Saul, whom God will raise up. But we also see how powerless Saul is to act on his own, to act as that Savior which he had been anointed as. Even after being anointed, being publicly proclaimed as king in chapters 9 and 10, Saul, he's simply gone home, he's continued farming, 
just like he'd always done. And so when Saul hears the bad news, when he hears the weeping and what's happening to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, he doesn't respond in his own strength, but immediately, verse 6, tells us that the Spirit of God rushes upon Saul. It kindles Saul's anger. The Spirit of God, it kindles Saul's anger. And we might get a little uneasy when we hear about someone getting angry. We might question whether or not the Spirit of God is really at work in a person if that Spirit is making that person angry. But we need to remember this morning that anger, too, is an emotion which God has made us with. When we see the church of Jesus Christ under attack, or when we see discord amongst us, then it's okay to feel angry. This is often the response which God himself gives in Scripture when he sees the sinfulness of his people or the sinfulness of the nations all around. And this anger, it's a response which we have which is meant to drive us to action, whether that be prayer to God or some sort of intervention to stop the sin which is happening in the church. And as we see in our text this morning, Saul, he goes for direct intervention. And the action that he takes when we read it, it's quite shocking. Right then and there, he takes the oxen which he has just come in from the field with, he cuts them into pieces, and he sends them all throughout Israel, demanding that the people of Israel muster behind himself and behind Samuel. And if we remember the parts that we read from the book of Judges, it's almost as if Saul, he's grabbed his megaphone and he's proclaiming to all Israel, he's saying, remember us? Remember Gibeah? We're the ones who ravaged the Levite's concubine, the one that he cut up and sent all throughout Israel. And guess who needs our help? Yes, it's the men of Jabesh-Gilead, the men who didn't come out with the rest of Israel to bring justice. And so again, we ask ourselves, is there any hope that the people of Israel will answer this call of Saul, will muster behind him and Samuel to defend Jabesh-Gilead of all people against Nahash? Well, as we know from our text, indeed, the unthinkable happens. The men of Israel, they unite over 300,000 strong. And as we read in verse 7, they come out against the Ammonites as one man. They are fully united in this cause. They desire to assist Gibeah in defending Jabesh-Gilead against Nahash and the Ammonites. But we also do well to note how this happened. We saw that, yes, Saul, he sent this serious threat that whoever would not come, he would destroy their oxen. And he even further invoked the name of Samuel, that great prophet, whom if the people didn't care for Saul, well, then they'd certainly listen to Samuel. And yet, as we see in our text, it's neither this threat from Saul or the name of Samuel which ultimately unites the people of Israel. What unites them and drives them to action is the dread of the Lord. And as we see in verse 7, the dread of the Lord fell upon the people and they came out as one man. And this phrase, dread of the Lord, it's not very common in Scripture. 
It's quite similar to the phrase, the fear of the Lord. And so in our text this morning, the dread which the people face, what this really is, is a discernment of the power of God, working in Saul, working in the anointed of the Lord, which compels them to obedience and inspires fear in them as well. And so confident are the men of Israel in this power of the Lord which he's working in Saul that they send back the message to Jabesh. In verse 9, they say, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. And we also see that in the wisdom of the Spirit, he divides the men of Israel into three groups. They conduct a surprise attack on the men of the Ammonites while it's still dark and they bring this salvation to the men of Jabesh-Gilead even before it's lunchtime. And we also see that in verse 11, of the people of the Ammonites who are left, no two of them are left together. This total unity of the people of Israel against the Ammonites has brought the total disunity of the Ammonites themselves, the enemies. And so God, he's come into this hopeless situation, hopeless from a human perspective, and he's brought salvation. He's united his people under his anointed king. He's delivered them from the disgrace of their enemy, and he's also worked to heal the wounds of discord which ran amongst the Israelites and Gibeah and Jabesh-Gilead. And when we see this salvation which the Lord has worked What a powerful message this is also for the church today. As we saw in our first point, the church, we still face disgrace from our enemies. Even within the church itself, we can experience discord. We can have disunity because of past sins, because of the consequences of those sins. And yet through the power of God, united under his anointed king, ultimately our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we too, we receive this deliverance and healing from him. Now make no mistake, brothers and sisters, the disgrace that we face in the world, it's a very present reality, and it's one that's here to stay as well. But in the power of God, under our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we have no reason to fear this disgrace, or even be intimidated by it. And why is that? Well, it's because our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in his death on the cross, he bore our disgrace. He was scorned by mankind. He was despised by the people. As we read in Psalm 22, verse 6, he also suffered countless insults that we might never be put to shame. And so God says through his prophet Isaiah, In Isaiah 51, verse 7 and 8, Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings, since God's righteousness is forever, and his salvation for all generations. And even more than this, far from being afraid of the disgrace of the enemy, Jesus Christ, he calls us blessed when we are reviled or persecuted for his sake. And he tells us that When we do experience these things, our reward in heaven will be great. Such disgrace, it confirms to us that we indeed belong to Jesus Christ, that we truly are his people, people whom he will 
one day fully remove this disgrace, this reproach from. And as we saw in our passage, it's not just this disgrace of the enemy which God's anointed has removed. He's brought unity. He's healed the discord among the people of Israel. Whatever the sins of the past, whatever the consequences were, whatever the consequences remain today, we can recognize that the blood of Jesus Christ is powerful, not just to cover the sin, but to also restore unity among the brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he gave up his life not only to pay for our sins, but also to bring us together as members into one body, a body which loves one another even though we are weak, even though we are sinful, and a body which together we can face the disgrace of the world unafraid. A body in which the joy of living in the kingdom of God drives us onward. And we come to our final point, renewed devotion to the Lord of the kingdom. We see in our text that the men of Jabesh-Gilead, they experienced joy. When they heard that salvation was on the way, they were glad. And now that they had been delivered, they were sure to rejoice in this salvation which God has worked for them. But as we also see in our text this morning, not everybody in Israel was experiencing the joy that they had. The people, they come to Samuel after this deliverance and they say to him that they want the men who opposed Saul to be given over to him to be given over to them and killed. Saul has now shown himself to be this powerful deliverer, and so the people of Israel, they want any resistance to Saul to be put down. And yet notice who responds to this request in verse 13. The people came and asked Samuel to have these men, but then Saul himself responds in verse 13, and he says, not a man shall be put to death this day, for the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. And so Saul clearly, unashamedly, he announces to the people that this is a great day of deliverance which the Lord has worked, and this is a day which should be marked with mercy, which should be marked with grace, not with killing. And yet isn't it striking, brothers and sisters, that even after this great deliverance which was worked for the people of Israel, that these small seeds of discord are still seen in the people. The devil, he loves to see this discord, this disunity in the church of God, and he's going to use whatever he can get his hands on to continue to sow these small seeds of discord among us. It's much easier for him to break the church down from the inside than it is to attack it from the outside. And so he sows discord among us to attempt to distract us from the central gospel message which we have in the salvation which our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has brought to us. The central gospel message which tells us that every one of us is sinful. We all fall short of the glory of God. All of us need the mercy, need the grace of our Lord, which he showed through his Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we can see the wisdom 
of the response of Saul. Rather than continue to perpetuate, to create these divisions amongst the people of Israel, he points to the great salvation from the Lord and how all the people are ultimately dependent upon the Lord and in need of his saving grace. And once the field has been leveled like this, once we all recognize our total, utter dependence on our Savior Jesus Christ, then what reason is there left for discord, for disunity among the people of God? What reason do we have to hold on to sins of the past or to hold on to someone's bad reputation? Jesus Christ, he died to bring us salvation and to unite us into one body under him as our head. And if this is how Christ showed his love to us as his body, then certainly we also as the body of Christ can show this love to one another. We can show that we truly are disciples of Jesus Christ. And so having heard the response of Saul, having seen his patience, his acknowledgement of the Lord, having seen the people's desire to be united under their anointed king, united under Saul, Samuel then brings the people to Gilgal to renew the kingdom, to restore it to the state which it was meant to be. Now Gilgal, if we remember, was the place where Israel first crossed over the Jordan when they came into the promised land. The old generation had been killed in the wilderness. They had all died in the wilderness during their 40 years of wandering. And now they cross the Jordan at Gilgal. They circumcise the entire nation. They renew the kingdom. The Lord makes a fresh start of sorts with his people Israel and also with his plan for his kingdom. And so here too, the people of Israel now, they declare Saul to be their king. They bring peace offerings. Both of these show the commitment to the Lord which they have. It shows the desire they have to dedicate themselves to the life which God has called them to. They've come to this point in their history as a nation where they recognize that it's the Lord who's their deliverer and savior. They recognize the deliverance and healing that Saul has brought was really the deliverance and the healing which God, the Lord, has brought through his anointed king. And so as we read at the end of verse 15, all the men of Israel, they rejoice greatly in this salvation. And what a beautiful picture of the joy which is possible through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This joy of knowing that through the deliverance of Jesus Christ, we don't need to fear the disgrace of our enemies. We too can experience joy in our lives just like the men in our text this morning. But of course, this joy isn't just for us as individuals. It's something for the church community as a whole. It's a joy in knowing that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he's worked salvation for each and every one of us. He's come into this world to unite us under him as the head, to bring unity into the church community. And so we can ask ourselves this morning, do we as church community experience this joy of salvation and unity under our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Or is the devil somehow distracting us by sowing little seeds of discord, little seeds of quarrels among us? 
Brothers and sisters, let us renew the joy of the kingdom in our lives and also in the church. Jesus Christ, he came into the world to renew the joy of the kingdom. So let us look to him. Let us praise his glorious name with one voice, one voice in unity. A unity which also looks ahead to the day when Jesus Christ returns, when we will experience full deliverance, joy in fullest measure, deliverance from the disgrace of the enemy, when all seeds of discord will be removed from us, and when we will dwell together in unity, perfectly under our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.